Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Thank you, Libby. Thank you very much. Gemma. So Josh is going to come and bring us a, a reading. This is from Matthew 22 verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So um, I'm just going to start with a quick story. Uh, So you might like to shut your eyes to use your imagination a little bit. So a little girl around the age of four walks into church for the first time, holding onto her grandmother's hand tightly. She's got a little smile on her face, but doesn't want to speak to anyone. The only reason she was there was so she could spend more time with her nan. She continues to go to church, attending Sunday school and taking part in nativity plays. So I wonder now if you'd open your eyes, if you had them closed, and I'll just show you a picture on the screen. So that little girl um, was me. So if you have a look at the photos, I was around four years old. My nan took me to church for the first time when I was four years old. As I got older, I saw firsthand how servant-hearted she was and the love that she demonstrated for God through other people. So this is now. Uh, The other day I came across this quote and it says, If we love God most, we will love others best. I think that's amazing. I think the most loving thing we can do for other people is to love God more than we love them. So what does it mean for us as a church and how can we go and share the love of God in our everyday lives? So I've got four practical points which I'm going to share with you today. So the first one is we're going to pray God-sized prayers. Every morning I try and wake up and I will pray a God-sized prayer. And that will be something like, Lord, help, help me to have opportunities to speak to someone today. Who can I speak to or who can God put me into contact with that I can have a conversation with that day? So the second one is to offer prayer. Who can you offer prayer to? It could be absolutely anybody in the street. It could be somebody you work with. The next one is love the person right in front of you. I saw this the other day when I was reading a devotional. I think that's that's a challenge and I find it really hard to love people sometimes. Um, but if we, if we love the person right in front of us, then we're going to love God. It's like that quote, isn't it? Um, and finally, the last one is we're going to live a questionable life. So I don't know what that means to you, um, but to me, 
It means that every day I'm going to question what am I doing? How can I be a better Christian? How can I share the love of God in my everyday life? So Josh read um, a reading from Matthew 22, 34 to 40, and that's the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and all your, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I remembered that when I read that quote. Can we go back to that quote, please? If we love God most, we will love others best. And if there's one thing that you take away from this little snippet that I've said, I'd like you to take that away. What does it mean to love God most? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Renew church, a missionary people demonstrating in word and action the redeeming action of God in the world. Thanks Gemma for introducing us that theme using evangelism and and how you were brought into the church context and and by invitation and by your grandmother coming with you bringing you with her and the things that she taught you about servant-heartedness and the way that that set a foundation for your life thank you for taking that thing that I shared with you in a supervision session about those four points and for mashing it up putting your own um, twist in there to show that Gemma's on a, in, a, in a journey of discipleship. We have input and influence into one another. We take that and we journey with that. That's, that's a great example of life following Jesus. Some of you are going to think that this message is... Um, Expecting more of you than you're able to give is asking too much of you, given your current context. Um, you simply can't preach a sermon um, to a group of people, however large, and, and, it, and it necessarily be, be directly applicable in the way that it's delivered to everybody. Because we're all got different stages of life, we're all got different, um, different joys and different struggles at different times. Um, take this message, please, and engage with it at whatever level, level you're able to. And I don't necessarily mean able to comfortably, able, able to easily. It's going to be challenging on whatever level you engage with this message. But if I, say, if, if I give an example of something that you know, it's just obviously um, too high for you to be able to attain. Uh, I don't mean this in any kind of um, criticism or shame. Just recognize I can't realistically, I can't even unrealistically um, achieve that in this moment. But there is a level on which I can connect with that. I'll try and explain as I go through, but I might not have time. So just hear my pastor's heart here. What I'm going to present is a tool, uh, a way of life, a model, if you like, that, that if we engage with It will help us to be missional people. It will help us to be a missionary people, demonstrating in word and action the redeeming action of God in the world. So, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power in the Greek, dunamis, dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. 
Hands up now, as quick as you like. How many people feel like dynamite when it comes to sharing their faith, to demonstrating in word or action the redeeming action of God in the world? How many of us just know we're like dynamite? Everywhere we go, bang, have it. That's an example of God's love and action in the world. Bang, that word was so powerful, it was like dynamite in that person's life. Anybody? <laughs> oh, I hope that wasn't quite caught on the microphone. Um, <laughs> um, truth is, most of us, myself included, feel like a damp log on a fire. You're trying to light it, but all you're getting is smoke because. It's not dry enough, it's not ready enough, it's not receptive enough to the heat, whatever the reason is. Jesus promises you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses where you are. For them it was Jerusalem, in the wider region, for them it was Judea and Samaria. Even amongst those people that don't like you are completely other to you, completely different. You will be my witnesses there and, and even to the ends of the earth. Basically, wherever you are and wherever you go, you will have power because the Holy Spirit is with you and you will be my witnesses. To promise. Power. You will be dynamic. You will be like dynamite. I'm not talking about our respective personalities, or he's got a powerful and dynamic personality. I'm talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit on us and in us and through us. However we, however we demonstrate that, and however we say that, it's going to be in line with our personality, our giftings, our character, but it will have the power of dynamite. Help us to be like that, Lord. This model comes from this tiny book called Surprise the World, by Michael Frost, I've mentioned him before, a leading, international leading missiologist. You can pick up this book for five pounds. Um, I've got a few copies at home. Um, every member of our Connect group uh, bought one to, to, um, as we, we, we look through this, and maybe we'll look through this again. I suspect every one of these points could be a sermon in itself, and I suspect you'll pick it up again at a later date, maybe not in the, the too distant future. Surprise the world. Five habits of highly missional people, he calls it. He's, got, he's quite bolchy, um, Michael Frost. He's quite um, loud and quite forceful in the way he displays things, the way he presents. I hope to present the spirit of this message. Um, you can decide how it's delivered. But, um, but at least take the five points that he uses and apply them to your life. I think this model complements the pray God-sized prayers, offer prayer, live questionable lives, and already and be ready with a response um, to the to the questions that come that I shared with you a number of years ago now, and that Gemma's just shared uh, an updated version that's personal to her with you um, today. This model builds on it. So this, this, these five points make up an acronym. The acronym is BELLS. B-E-L-L-S. BELLS. So this is a way of choosing to live that enables us to build rhythms in our lives that have the potential to transform, change our lives and the lives of others. Did we sing Love Divine or Love's Excelling last week? 
I think we did. Um, and changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Um, let's be changed by him and his glory into a greater degree of glory as we become more like Jesus. This model will help us to be living the lives that Jesus um, calls us to live as we've seen in our covenant as we are a missionary people. This is for every one of us. We might not call ourselves an evangelist. Listen to what I mean by evangelist. Usually evangelist <laughs> means someone who comes into a context upsets everyone by telling everyone what they should be doing and then jumps out and leaves the pastors and the teachers and the, to, to, uh, to, um, to, to, uh, they have a bad name evangelists. I want to, I want to reclaim that a bit and, and be, evangelists have a great gift, a great gift at knowing that they have been given primarily the gift of evangelism as their primary gift. They are primarily gifted in presenting the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel with clarity and, and, and in a way that people are attracted to and, and, and are compelled to listen and compelled to move forward um, with the, the next step on their journey of faith, particularly coming to faith for the first time. The evangelist has a great way of declaring and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have a clarity in the gospel. They, excuse, excuse me, they have, they have a, a, an alertness for opportunities able to see this is an opportunity for the gospel. This person's ready to, to hear this. And a, and a way to boldly proclaim the good news. We, they know it's their gift. They're gifted in clearly explaining. They are aware of opportunities and they can proclaim the good news boldly. Not necessarily loudly and in your face or that can sometimes be an effective way, but in a, just boldly and confidently in whatever way they are provided with the opportunity. Not everyone is an evangelist. Not everyone has that primary gift. But everyone is called by Jesus to be evangelistic. There is a difference. What do I mean then by the way that we are all called to be? Gemma introduced us to some of these points. We are all called to introduce others to Jesus through our words and actions. We are all called to do that. However hard we find it, we are all called to be people who witness to him. You will be my witnesses wherever you go. How can we do that? We can show that we're really committed to doing that by something that Gemma introduced us to or reminded us of, being prayerful. Being people who pray and desire and ask God for opportunities to share him with others in whatever way. Make that your prayer. God-sized prayer. Lord, please give me an opportunity to share something of you with someone today. Please. Now, I don't believe that God would refuse to answer that prayer in a positive way and say, here you are, here's an opportunity. It's more likely that we're not aware of the opportunities that are already right in front of us. Pray for it. Watch. Be watching for those opportunities. And if that's your prayer, you're more, most likely to be watching for those opportunities. This is one where so many of us fall down. Wise socialising. Be wise in the people you put around yourself. Be wise in the things you get involved in while socialising. And gracious answers. For Peter says, you be ready. You be ready. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. You be ready 
in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. Be ready and be confident in your, in your response to questions that come your way, but please be gentle and respectful when you do that. Gracious answers. I wanna, I've got a little star by my wife socialising. I want to unpack this a bit. We need to be distinctive in the world. We need to stand out as people who live differently. But we don't need to do so to the extent that we are irrelevant to the world around us. We have this biblical phrase where you're in the world but not of it. So many Christians that I grew up with and still exist um, today would say that the way to, to, to live is to detach yourself from the world as a Christian. Demonstrated in previous generations, for example, as parents not letting their children go to the cinema not, not, and, and not, not going to parties um, with friends, not going to, to school, discos. And I'm not saying that there's not some wisdom there in making sure that places are safe and that the movies are appropriate, but we cannot. There's other examples, of course, I haven't got time to go into. You will probably be recalling some yourselves right now. But we've got to be in the world in order to influence it. We have to be in the world. Be in the world, said Jesus, but not of it. Know that you are a citizen of a different kingdom, but we are still in the world. Live your life in a way that would bring honour and glory to Jesus. And we all know, I'm sure we've all got examples of social circumstances where we've got the balance wrong. The line is fine, but the line is there. Be wise in your socialising, both in the people that you put around you and in the things that you get involved in. That's a message for children and young people as much as it's a message for every, every adult. Be wise. Don't detach yourself from the world, from others who don't share your faith, but be wise in your socialisation. I, I used to find it a great honour to be able to, a couple of my church members in another church used to love going out for a pint or two or three with me. But, but they knew that there was, a, there was a, a point where the line was. And they'd say, they'd say frequently, we couldn't go out for a drink with your colleague because it, it would be not his, it, would, it, would feel out of, it wouldn't be natural for him, it would feel out of, I'm not saying you have to be able to go for a pint to be a Christian or anything, but there's different ways that we can engage with the people around us. Something that feels perfectly natural to you might be alien to me. It's good for you to do that and not for me. We need to find the ways. But there are lines. Let's not cross them because what crossing them does, and there's grace and forgiveness if we do hear that, but what crossing them does is, is give a message that we wouldn't want them to be, to be given about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be distinctive. Maybe the reason that, that, that people aren't coming to Jesus in their droves is because as Christians, we're not living a very good example. We're not being distinctive enough, different enough. It's part of what holiness means. And I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to anybody else here or who, who ever happens to be listen, listening at a later date. The reason for mentioning that is it speaks directly into the further instructions that, that Libby read to us so well. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. It's from Colossians 4, 2 to 6. And pray for us too. Pete Paul recognises that he's an, he's an evangelist. He's, and he's saying, pray for me. 
that God might open a door for our message because he's alert to the opportunities so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, the bold proclamation of the good news for which I am in chains. He's in prison for it at the moment. But he's saying, keep praying for me for opportunities. He's in prison because he'd be sharing his faith. And he's asking the church, as he writes them a letter, pray for more opportunities, please. What a guy. What an evangelist. What a follower of Jesus. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And he says to the people listening to this letter being read, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Be wise in your socialization. Make the most out of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt makes it more tasty. So that you you may know how to answer everyone. Keep that passage from Colossians in your head. What a great passage. Might not be the obvious passage to choose on a sermon about mission, but I was drawn to it because I think it sets that context in the broadest way possible. Not having to be an evangelist, we've all got evangelistic ways to live and and things to say. So the first of these, um, these letters in the acronym BELLS is B, BLESS. Do we have... Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Bless. We are a blessed people. But as you will be familiar with me saying, we are not blessed just to build up our blessing bank balance. We are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. As we bless others, we in turn bless God. Blessing tends to take one of three forms as Michael Frost outlines in his book, Surprise the World. Words of affirmation. Possibly the simplest, but I guess that depends on your personality. The simplest way of blessing someone is to affirm them in the words that you use. It could be verbally, it could be in a written note, a card, an email, a text. Send some uplifting and encouraging words. Encouraging, to, to, to give courage, to, 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 to strengthen your heart. Um, um, encourage someone through your words. Let them know that they are special to you, uh, why they are special to you, or what something you've noticed about them. Encourage them. Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Let's make that part of the renewed church culture. We're people who affirm one another in the words that we use and affirm others in words too. To encourage someone well requires us to put ourselves in their shoes for a while to empathise with them, to see the world from from their perspective, to appreciate them by realising who they are and what they do, what they bring, what they give. We kind of know what's important to them. And we communicate through our affirmation, I know, I care, I'm with you, how can I help? We're demonstrating that we believe in that person giving them credit and praise and honour for what they do and who they are. Let's affirm one another in our words. Second way that we can bless others is through acts of kindness. How much does it bless us when someone does us a favour or provides some kind of practical support? It's a huge blessing, a tangible proof of the fact that we're in family and relationship with one another. Help a friend or neighbour with some DIY, but you won't find me being very good at that, I'm afraid. Some of you are. Help with some technical support, um, computer, etc. Again, not my strength, but some of you have that gift and that strength and you do share it. Helping with caring for children so that um, parents or carers can have some time 
um, together and, and out. Share an afternoon visit to a garden centre, a museum, a local attraction with somebody. Help someone with their grocery shopping. Spend some time with someone, a couple in a chat. Help with gardening or bike maintenance, car maintenance, other examples of practical support. You will have many more examples in your head. Let us look for ways to bless one another's lives through acts of kindness. You quite literally lighten someone's load, strengthen them, build them up in doing so. And you will be blessed by being a blessing to others in a way that is in line with your gifting and skills and character too, and abilities too. So we can share affirming words. We can... Um, just been talking about it. We can uh, do acts of kindness to and for one another. And we can share gifts. I don't know anyone who doesn't like to receive a gift. Sometimes we overthink things and, oh, but I don't know if I'll like it and I'll, how will that be received. But most people will gratefully receive a gift, especially if they know the gift is given lovingly and thoughtfully. The, the effort will be appreciated. The heart behind the gift will be appreciated. Probably more than the gift. Receiving a gift reminds us that we are known. Again, we are cared for. We are valued. Not just at Christmas and birthdays, but random gifts, especially at unexpected times, shows and that we are special and can be very special indeed. Gifts come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. They can be expensive. They can be free. There's compelling evidence that he links, in, links to in the book that those who bless others and make blessing in these ways, their way of life, have many opportunities, in fact, they have more opportunities to chat about Jesus and have much more success, influence, impact maybe would be words I would choose, in their talking about Jesus than those who only prioritise um, sharing the gospel verbally. You know what I'm saying? Those who, who would think the best thing to do is to just verbally proclaim the gospel and let the people respond. There's a time for that. But, peop- but the evidence, sh- evidence shows that People who prioritise these ways of blessing through action alongside the words that they say are more fruitful in, in leading people to Jesus or having those deep, deeper conversations about him and about the good news. Because maybe they demonstrate more the love and the, and the feeling behind the words that they use. Let's be people who bless each other. So, Michael Frost says, bless three people this week at least one of whom is not part of your family or the church family. Again, in line with what I said at the beginning, take this as read for the other examples too. You might say, I'm only able to, I think I'll only be able to bless one person. Fine, bless that person. If possible, make that someone outside of your family and church family. But set yourself a target. Basically, be a people who bless others in, with affirming words, with with acts of kindness and with gifts to show God's love. What this will do, if we make blessing a habit, we become more generous. Each one of these, these habits connects with a missional value. And this blessing makes us, being a people of blessing makes us more generous. The E stands for eat. 
Eating together has been a central habit of Christian gatherings for as long as the church has existed. I um, love this story about Emperor Julian in the 4th century making a fuss, getting really angry and really annoyed. He had a bee in his bonnet about these Christians. He calls these Christians atheists, ironically, because they weren't worshipping the pagan gods that he was worshipping. So all these Christians, all these atheists, as he called them, um, were spending far too much time eating together. In fact, they had so many different ways of eating together, they lost track of why they were doing it and what they called it. They had all sorts of, every time they met, they were eating. And whatever they were meeting for, whether it was social, whether it was worshipful and religious, whatever it was, they were doing it so often, he lost track, he couldn't keep track of all the different times and the reasons and the names that it was called. These atheists, these Christians, were eating all the time. He had a word, he was so upset, he had a word with his fellow pagans about how much these Christians seemed to be doing a much better job of being together and especially caring for the poor and needy. And you know, he said to them, you know, these people don't just care for themselves and their own people, they're they're caring for the Romans better than we are. They're caring for, the, for others better than we are. We know the Eucharist and communion, the Lord's Supper, which we will share together next week as part of our worship, has been a central part of Christian practice. Since Jesus instituted it during that Passover meal in 1 Corinthians 11, um, on the night in which he was betrayed. But that reminder goes further back to that moment that Jesus instituted as the Lord's Supper. It goes back to the, the Passover where, where the Jewish people, God's people, celebrate the fact that God rescued them from slavery and captivity. And it tells us even now, God delivered us before. He will deliver us again. I love the way the Jewish personalize it. A Jewish child will, tell, will talk about the Exodus as if he or she was there. When God rescued us, when God rescued me, because the, the story of generations past is their story too. May we be better at claiming these biblical experiences and the way God delivered his people, claiming them for ourselves too, like the Jews model so well. We know that the early church gathered together for meals because Paul, remember in 1 Corinthians 11, I think from verse 17, he's, he tells them off for the way that they're doing it. You lot are getting together. You're eating and drinking. You're getting drunk. You're eating too much. You're eating too much, and there's people eat, eating with you who haven't got enough. He gives them ways of, of, of being more ordered and more godly in the way that they do it. Sometimes we can get it wrong. But it's so important that we eat together. And here, I would suggest even more than we do now, having our, our shared lunch on a Tuesday, we have our, our opportunity to eat together on a Sunday morning. Um, and have a drink before we gather for worship. Actually, I would suggest it's part of our worship. Hospitality was so important to Jesus, and it's such an important part of of us following him in this day and age. Um, Janice Price is a, a, a member of the panel of the Church of England's World Mission panel, and she says this, Hospitality, as the mutual indwelling one with another, becomes the modus operandi, the way of operating of of mission, as those in common participation in the life and mission of God meet and receive from each other. Hospitality, she says, is an attitude of the heart, which is about openness to the other person. She says this mirrors the hospitality of the Trinity, As God chooses to open himself to the other through the incarnation in Jesus Christ and to subject himself to the created order. God modelled hospitality in coming to dwell among us and to be subject to his creation. 
She says it's about a generous acknowledgement and a meeting of common humanity, as well as meeting the needs of humanity, emotional, physical, particularly in the eating, but the spiritual, all that we share together over a meal, generously. So she says that being hospitable and eating together with one another mirrors the activity of God in creation and towards creation. Wow. Not just a good strategy for mission, but a way of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Very quickly, this phrase, the Son of Man came. Three examples in the New Testament of that phrase. How does it finish? The Son of Man came that we might have life. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that was lost. Thank you, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came. I think they might have life is, is I have come that you might have life. But the Son of Man came. Shows the Father. Yeah. Son of Man came to give it, to serve, and not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 10, after the Zacchaeus discourse. And third, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It says the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you called him a glutton and a drunkard. Because he was eating and drinking with people who are outside of the church family, outside of the family of faith. Jesus wasn't being a drunkard and a glutton. But because he was eating with people that the, that the religious might have thought were unworthy, unclean, or outside of the family, they put him in the same camp as they would put them. Jesus spent time with them, eating and drinking, and the religious people called him a glutton and a drunkard. He was just being a good example of what we should live like in mission. So I guess the point I make from that is Jesus considered... As important as coming to serve and to be, uh, rather than be served and to give his life, as important as seeking and saving the lost, eating and drinking together with those outside, the others in the world. Hirsch and Ford, Hirsch is a, a friend and often writing colleague of Michael Frost. Hirsch and Ford, in the book Right Here, Right Now, say this, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Don't want that to get lost. Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Or the conversation enjoyed around a meal. The barriers that are broken as we share a meal together. The informality that's there. He says we can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. What better way to change the world than by eating and sharing a meal together? The definition of evangelism that I remember using in one of my master's assignments was this. One beggar telling another beggar where to get food. One beggar sharing with another beggar how to get food. Eating together reminds us that we're all the same. We have this in common. We all need to eat. I know it's hard. But, oh, when am I going to find time to invite? Or how am I supposed to prepare for that? But I've got this. I'm, I, I work too long. I'm, I've got too many commitments. My family's too young. My, living, my, my dining room's too small. How, 
And I know those are, I don't, they are real, very real challenges. But there's, there's a couple of facts here. We all eat. We all need to eat. Maybe we need to lower our expectations of what we're able to provide. We'd love it if you came. I'm sorry, it's going to be chicken nuggets and chips. But if you're happy with that, we'd love to have your company. I might just be having sandwiches. might just be having cheese and crackers. But if you'd like to join us, we'd love, you, love to have your company. Within the church family and outside the church family. It might only be a cup of tea and a piece of cake. But would you like to join us? We'd love to get to know you better. You're part of our family. I will eat with people this week. And at least one of the people I eat with will not be a member of my household or a member of the church. If we do that regularly, as as we make eating together a habit, we become more hospitable. The habit of eating together, the missional value of hospitality. You'll be encouraged to know that the last three are much more brief than a blessing and eating. Listen, L for listen. (laughs) I get that, I love those ears. Listen. Listen for the Spirit's voice. Listen for the Spirit's voice. When I first started becoming familiar with this model, I thought it was listen to the person that you're talking to over the meal, for example. Listen to the people you are blessing. And of course, that's the person you are blessing. Of course, that's important. But listen for the Spirit's voice. And what Frost says is take time at the beginning of the week. He says one period. Now, he doesn't specify the length of that period. I appreciate him not doing that. I appreciate him doing it that way. Might be that your period is 10 minutes. He says, try not to make that in, in, a, in, a, in a chaotic and, 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 and messy time or space. He uses the example, I think, of a cafe. If you're in a busy cafe and try to listen to the music that's, that's in the background, try to listen to something that the presenter is saying, the likelihood is the, the rat noise around you will be so much that you won't, might not be able to hear the voice on the radio. Likewise, if we're trying to have some time with God and there's busyness and noise around us, it's hard to tune into his voice. And he, he says, try to find some time. And it might help if we make it clear to the people around us, this 10 minutes is my time in solitude with God. So please honour that. Maybe you're blessed, like I am, to be able to carve out more time in the day because I'm blessed with the opportunity to be set aside to, to, to seek God and to, and to, to, the, the, to fulfil the role that I've been called to. Others are, are blessed with other lives that, that create less time for this. But, but I would suggest, and please hear this right, that we can all, find, we can all carve some time, five minutes, just to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verse 10. And I believe God will honour the fact that we've carved that time out, however short or long it is. And in that time that we've set aside... Try to eliminate the distractions and just consciously let God in. Enjoy his presence. The devil will try to attack you with distractions and, 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 and doubts about he's not even listening to you, what you're bothering with. You could be doing something so much more fruitful than this. Just in, 
Just enjoy being in his presence and reminding yourself that he loves you, that he is God and you are not, that he created you, he has called you, you are his. Uh, Isaiah 43, verse 1 and following. Do not be afraid, he says to you. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Spend time with him. And listen for his voice. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 in the message. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He'll lead you forward. He's the one who'll keep you on track. He will honour you for carving that space out. He will prompt you, follow his promptings. If we make listening to the Spirit's voice a habit, we will become more Spirit-led, obviously. Habit, listening to the Spirit's voice, missional value, you will be more Spirit-led rather than self-led. Listen. Fourthly, learn. Three ways that we can learn. Um, the, the, there's an ancient um, desert father phrase, learning Christ. I didn't like it at first. I thought we could never fully learn Christ. So it's a bit, why? But, I, but I guess it's, that, it's, the, it's the, I didn't rule it out because it's not a new phrase. It was an old phrase and I, I honour that, the, the way that it stood the test of time. Learn Christ. Obviously, we'll never fully learn Christ. But beats like the disciple t-shirts that a few people have got on this morning. Someone commented earlier on in the, before worship, um, oh, I'd want to put at the top, trying to be. So trying to be a disciple because I'm not there yet. And I said to that person that, that in the word disciple includes the, 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 the inference, the reality that we're, we're, we're not there yet. We are, the disciple is a student. Disciple is someone who is following. Disciple is someone who is trying their best to be like their rabbi. That every moment they are following so closely behind their rabbi that they get covered in dust from his sandals. That's what it means to be a disciple. Um, not to, all right, I've made it, I've got my disciple jumper. But uh, I'm on the journey, I'm following, I'm trying, I'm a disciple. Study the Gospels. Read them, read them again. It'll take you about two and a half hours to read, maybe Matthew and Luke, maybe 90 minutes to read um, um, Mark, maybe a couple of hours to read John. Read them. Read them in one go if you can. Get a sense for the story, how it flows. And read them in parallel, some good parallel gospel Bibles that give you a chance, that read the ways the different gospel writers um, accounted at the different stages in, in Jesus' life. Learn about your saviour Jesus Christ through the words of scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Second way that we might be able to learn is to read about Jesus. Some good books. Ask me or someone else if you want some pointers. Simply Jesus by Tom Wright. It's a good book giving you a, a feel for Jesus and the person he was and the things that he prioritised and asked us to prioritise. Frost, Michael wrote, um, Jesus the Fool, which is a good book. It, together with Alan Hirsch, he, he wrote, Read Jesus. Um, these scripts are going to be available from all the sermons in this series, so don't feel you need to remember all of this. I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you. And the recording will be on the website um, um, probably, probably within the next 24 hours. So, so you can return back to this again. Read about Jesus. King's Cross by Tim Keller. It's another great book on the person of Jesus. Watch things that tell you and show you about Jesus. I would encourage you to, to watch the shack. To get a, a, the feel of the Trinity from a different angle. Uh, the Miracle Maker. It's a great depiction of, of, 
um, Jesus and, and done in a such, a such a good way, especially good for families to watch together. Watch one of the film versions of the Gospels or mo- other movie depictions of the life of Jesus. If we can say, I will spend at least one period this week learning Christ, learning about Jesus, studying the Gospels or reading about him or watching something about him. I'll spend at least one period this week learning Christ. We will make the habit out of learning and we will become more Christ-like because we'll know what it is and who it is we're supposed to be like and what that looks like. Finally, sent. Sent. Being identi- begin by identifying yourself as a missionary. A sent one. Alan Hirsch, often Michael Frost's partner in writing, says there's no such thing as an unsent Christian. We are all sent. Jesus reminded us of that in some of his last words on earth, his last words in Matthew's Gospel. One of the habits that Michael Frost encourages us to, to embrace I find this very hard to do. Some people find it much easier. It's to journal each day. By that, what I mean is record experiences, thoughts and feelings. What this helps us to do, and I envy those who are able to do it well, what, what that provides you with is the gift of being able to look back, whether it's the past week or the past decade. Look back, I've got friends who did this so well and they're, they're reminded of how God has moved in their lives. Maybe in ways that they'd previously forgotten about but they'd recorded it at the time. Record your experiences in trying to live out these, these bells, B-E-L-L-S, bless, eat, listen, learn, scent. And record your experiences. It'll serve as a reminder of what God is doing. That's the reason we share good news and, and testimonies of God's faithfulness each week. It reminds us. This is another good way of being able to do it. And I'm going to try and do this more regularly. It reminds you. It gives you fuel for that sharing that we're called to do with others in our mission. Co- consider yourself a missionary. A few times I've mentioned that I'd like to call us missionaries of Renew Church rather than members of Renew Church. Usually when I say that, I get met with a, <laughs> and a kind of a wry grin or something. Yeah, are you serious? Actually, yeah, I am serious. I was on um, a church awareness trip in Texas a few years ago, and one of their churches, a small church like ours in Texas, um, one of the churches said, we're not members of the fellowship. It's what the church was called. We are missionaries of the fellowship. Everyone was given a key to the building. You can't do that here, but they had their own building. Everyone was given a key to the building, a mop and a bucket. Everyone. We're not members of Renew Church. We're missionaries. I would love to hear you getting that into our language. Maybe I'll have the courage to start using that more consistently. I'm not talking about church members meeting, but church family missionary meetings. I give it because it reminds us of what we're called to. We're not called to be members of a church as an, as an organization or an institution. We're called to be missionaries in the kingdom of God. We are all sent. Our English word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means to send, to be ejected, to be pushed out to the margins, to be pushed away, to be pushed out. Mission. And it's our mission, as we've been reminding ourselves today, to, be, to alert everyone to the fact that God reigns. God is sovereign. Jesus is Lord. 
Not Caesar. Caesar liked to, Caesar wanted everyone to say in the empire, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And Jesus comes along and says, Jesus is Lord. That was a huge political statement, a huge religious statement, a huge difference in kingdom statement. And in the way we live, if we live blessing, eating, listening, learning, and embracing the fact that we are sent, we'll be screaming in the way we live and the things we say, Jesus is Lord. Let us be a missionary people demonstrating in word and action the redeeming action of God in the world. As we point people towards God, what are we, what are we saying to them? What is this kingdom of God? I haven't got time to define each of these. They will be in the notes and we can pick them up there. But we'll about, be about reconciliation. Jesus is in the business of reconciling all things to himself. You and me have been part of that reconciliation. The people we, we are reach, seeking to reach are in his plan for reconciliation too. Let's model the fact that we are reconciled with Christ. Let's demonstrate that in our words and actions. Let's bring other people to him too so he can be reconciled to them. Let's be people committed to justice. Such a central theme in scripture and such a great example of what um, David and Sue have been about this past week. Um, seeking, it's, it's, in, it's unjust that people in our world are homeless and hungry. Let's be part of the feeding and housing. That's why Tim and, and Keith and I, along with Jared Smith, are going to build a house for homeless people in Mexico in, in a few months. Um, because being homeless is, is unjust and we're going to be part of that solution rather than just lamenting the problem. Let's show people the beauty of God and his creation. Sharing the beauty is a great way of, of showing them that, that God is a creator. God is a sustainer. Don't just say, oh, isn't that a lovely sunset? Say, thank God. That makes me really think about Jesus. Bring God into the conversations as often as we can. It won't be cheesy if you do it naturally. Give him the glory for the creation around you. What you see in one another is a gift of God to us. Let's be people who model wholeness. The Hebrew word, shalom. Not just peace as the absence of war, or sh- of the absence of war, oh, it's great, we've got shalom, peace. But the complete wholeness and well-being. Let's be people who model that in Jesus Christ, we are made whole. We have life and have it to the full. Try and journal through this week all the ways that you've been able to point others to the reign of God. The way that that's felt, the things that have been shared. Introduce people to Jesus so that Jesus can win their hearts. And when we make a habit out of introducing people to Jesus, we will become more missional. Let us bless. Let us eat. Let us listen. Let us learn. Let us go. Be sent. And may in, may in doing that, may we be more generous, more hospitable, more spirit-led, more Christ-like, more missional. May it be so, Lord Jesus, for each one of us and for us as a body. Amen.